0: From Paul's letter to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son so that we might receive adoption as children. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Merry Christmas. We've still got a few more days of Christmas ahead of us, and I hope that during this time you've been able to spend Uh, Some of Christmas with your family. I know that in the perpetual era of COVID, that's not a given, but it is great when everybody is able to come together. And if you hadn't seen your family yet, well, you get to now, because our uh, texts today are about us being a family in Christ. In Christ, that is what we are, and this idea of a Christian family is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And it might seem kind of like kind of an odd notion that the people around you, to your left and right, are family. Why don't you go ahead and take a weird glance and look around and make eye contact with people and, you know, see who's in the room. There's a, you know, you, they're going to see people that you don't recognize, aren't you? People that you've never met. You, you don't know anything about them. And yet, as a Christian in Christ, they are your family. We are a family united in Christ with God as our Father. And it's interesting, in the season of Hallmark, when I say family, you might think of some kind of trite notion, Right? Like everybody, you know, like there's a a minor squabble about a dish that's being brought, and everybody gets together, and we're all hugs and happiness and all sorts of good things, which, by the way, is not everybody's experience of family. I see some smiles out there. Um, But the reality is a lot goes along with being a member of a family. Yes, hopefully, there is this sense of belonging. Hopefully, there's a sense of acceptance, and maybe you get some warmth. But when you're thinking about a family, there's more that goes into it. There's also a family legacy, something that you might have to contend with, or something that gives you cause to celebrate. With families, there are who your parents were and how that shaped you, who their parents were and how that shaped them, and all of these things being passed down the line. When you think of family, you might think, what are the expectations that I have as being a member of the family that I am in? And how am I shaped by those expectations? And even though we live in a disconnected age, there can be a sense of shared mission and purpose with family, that you and I are united in a common cause for a common purpose. So given all the weight that comes along with being a family, Let's go back to this idea of us being adopted into the family of God. It's not trite. It's heavy. So, consider with me for a second. We're going to look at this through the lens of rights and responsibilities, right? Two sides of the same coin. What would you say are some of the rights associated with being children of the king of the cosmos, the creator of the universe, and all things? What would you say are some of the rights that come into us as being members of His family as Christians? Well, I'm going to go through a couple of them. You ready? Access. We have access to God. You know, God's not a distant Father closed off in His study that ignores the banging of His children, right? We have access to God. That means that when we talk to Him, He listens to us. We have acceptance. No one knows your faults and your sins more than your heavenly Father does. Would you agree? You don't even know all the things that you've done wrong, right? being forced into confession. You're like, I'm sure there's something in there. I don't know. But God knows all of it, and we have acceptance as a right of His children, and we have assurance. This is a big one for us. You know, with our three enemies that we talk about as a church, right? It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you heard of that before? The world, like society, everything around us that's broken, flesh, that's our own instincts and natures, and Satan, uh, personified evil that's against us, right? Well, God's one. And so we also have, as rights of His children, we have assurance that God has won. So that's the fun stuff. What about responsibilities? Well, we could go on and on about responsibilities being part of a family, but here's a couple. First one is that by being His children and bearing His image, our lives reflect on Him. How you and I live, for better or worse, impacts how others see God. I know know, uh, Father Rodriguez has mentioned that before, right, the idea that um, if we are to be known as Christians, we better act like it. We better live into that. I remember, so I think I've I've told this before, but um, I grew up in a church very, very different than this one. I grew up in… well, we had smoke, but it was a fog machine, not incense. Um, and we had lights, but there might have been some, some, some lasery things going on there. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, was, it was a 20,000-member mega megachurch um, in Orlando. And um, there was one point in, in, in my life where my father was an elder. My family was very connected to this church. My father was an elder. My mother was a youth director. My younger brother was uh, in the global missions department. And my other brother was uh, serving food because I think he was maybe 17 at the time. And so, like, every member of the Gritter family was, was associated with that church. And so, when you walk into a situation like that, right, like, my kids will have to learn as they grow up living in a church, like, there's some, there's some weight that goes along with that, isn't there? You're, care, you're bearing somebody else's name. When people look at you, that reflects, right? I, I knew I better shape up. So, that's one responsibility. Our lives reflect on Him. And the second is this idea, we talked about a shared mission and purpose of family, that His mission of drawing others to Himself, of worshiping Him, and preaching, His mission of preaching the gospel to bring others to a saving knowledge of Him has become our mission. And I know the shared family mission thing is one of the hardest things to translate, right? Because our modern culture, we're individualistic, we have mobility, right? People can just scatter across the country. Um, we, we are able to survive doing almost any occupation that we choose. But that wasn't always the case, was it? There was a time not so long ago in human history, and for most of human history, that we were all united for survival. We needed to eat. And to do so, we had to work together. There was a shared mission and purpose associated with that. And so that's our second responsibility. Do you see what I mean, though, when I talk about this, the, the weight of the nature of the family of God? how much there is to it. It's a complex idea. Once we realize the enormity of it, there are typically two responses, right? Here are the typical two responses to what I just said, and see if that resonates with you as I went through them. When we're talking about the rights, our typical response is, especially if we have a sense of our own fallenness and brokenness, we say, I am undeserving of those rights. I'm undeserving. Access, assurance with the Father, there's no way. There's no way. But at the same time, when we hear the responsibilities, what we then say is, I want nothing to do with those. So I think there's a part of our hearts where we avoid, we don't feel worthy of the rights that God would bestow upon us, but there's also a part of our sinful hearts that would avoid the responsibilities. And so that's the lens through which I want to approach the text this morning, this idea of how do we live into the rights that God has given us and accept and accept what God would bestow on us? And then also, how does God bring us along to live into those responsibilities? Alright? Alright, let's go. So, looking at our text in Galatians, we were not always children of God, right? Let me be specific about this. There's this idea that every person on earth is a child of God. That is not true. It's not true. The only time that people are ever referred to, that non-believers are ever referred to as children of God is when Paul says in Acts 17, talking to nonbelievers that you are the offspring of God. What he's saying is you are the offspring of God in the same way that a light bulb is the offspring of Thomas Edison, right? Or the telephone of Alexander Graham Bell, right? Like you are a creation. His acts led to your creation. Does that make sense? Would you say that that's a familial connection? It's not. But that's where we all were. That's where all of us are. That's where we were. And you know the story. You know our family story. Because we could not draw close to God, because we could not be members of His family, He did what we've been celebrating, right? He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live and die as one of us so that we could be adopted as His children. In fact, Galatians 3 says that, right? Before we were near God, before we were close to Him, this is what Galatians says, now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Before faith came, before Christ came down to adopt us, God gave us the law. And I want you to think about this, right? If God can't relate to us as children, if He can't love us as a father, there's a vast gulf between us because of our sin. How does He keep us from destroying each other? He gives us the law, right? Think about the Ten Commandments for a second. He's talking about the capital L law, by the way, the Torah, right? It's a good thing if we don't all murder each other. Would you agree? It'd be ideal if we didn't just run around committing adultery or stealing or lying about each other, right? These would be, you know, it'd be ideal if we honor our fathers and mothers, right? These are, these are good things for us. Would you agree? And so God gave us what he, what we could receive. God gave us what we could receive. But it wasn't pleasant. In fact, the word here that Paul uses to describe the law, he uses this Greek term pedagogos, right? And what it basically was, was think of a a governess. you see a movie with a governess or had a governess? You all familiar with that idea? Watch Downton Abbey, I think, had a governess. Um, <clears throat> and then you combine that with a drill sergeant, and you put them together. That's what a pedagogos was. That's what Paul's saying the law was to us. It wasn't kind. It wasn't pleasant. It beat the tar out of us. In fact, pedagogos, they were known for pinching ears, hitting with canes, pulling noses, pulling hair, whatever it had to do to keep those kids in line. And, and it's because they had, they had two jobs. One was make this person acceptable and respectable to society and protect them from outside wolves that would try to get to them. So they were rough and tough and mean. And what Paul is saying is, without Christ, that is what we got. That's what we have, the law. And if you've ever looked at the law and seen where you failed to measure up to what God has called us to do, you know what it's like to get beat up by the law, don't you? You know the feeling the feelings of uh, self-deprecation or lack of worth. But that's why, as our text tells us, God's solution was to send Christ down in order to adopt us so that we could have the spirit of adoption. You see, this was a plan that God had laid the groundwork for for millennia, that He would send His Son, born of a woman, so that He could live as one of us and take on our burdens, born under the law so He could fulfill this law, this pedagogos that we've been under, in our place and allow us to become adopted as His children. Now, this word adoption is something I want to key in on, because we have our systems of adoption, right? you all, all familiar with the process, aren't you? Adoption was a, was, had a different tone then. Uh, the Greek word for adoption that Paul uses is quithesia, and again, I gave you the words because I'm going to have a quiz later, so I want you to be prepared. The word, the word he gives is quithesia, And the idea is that we might receive full rights as sons. In ancient Greece and Rome, it was common for a wealthy couple who didn't have children to adopt a child into their family. That child that got adopted had all of their debts forgiven, received a new identity, and began began in a very new life. His status was forever changed, and he could never be unadopted. It was permanent legally. And even though this is what the text says about us Christians, this is who we are in Christ, we don't always live into that, do we? We don't always believe it. I mean, how often? God is our Father, right? So when you're in trouble and you need guidance, is the first thing you do to pray, or do you pick up the phone to call somebody? Well, if God's your Father, we pray, because that's where we go for guidance, right? Or help, or support, or assistance, or comfort. Do y'all follow me when I say that? But I think sometimes when we do something wrong, we run the exact opposite direction of God, don't we? We hide. And that's because we haven't quite understood this idea of adoption. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've been working on a degree in mental health counseling, and um, we were studying uh, adolescents who have been adopted this summer. And I found something, there's a pattern that happens when you adopt, someone, adopt children, and this is, this is true for most. Um, especially if you dot them while they're young, say maybe between five and seven. What happens is there's a kind of a rough period of introduction, but then what happens when you bring somebody into your family is they actually gravitate towards you. There's mutual love, affection, closeness, everything that you would find in a natural-born child, and it's wonderful until about nine or ten. Because what can happen then is a lot of times children become introspective at that age, and they remember their past, and they remember the abuse and neglect and the suffering that they had come from, and they begin to doubt your relationship with them. And if you don't know what's going on as a parent, you might think, well, they're just being a sullen teenager or something like that. Sorry, teenagers, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, they might just be thinking like, I'm a you know, they're a sullen teenager, they're withdrawn, they're combative, but there's something much deeper going on there. What they've done is they've stopped believing that you're going to be there for them. They've stopped believing that they have the same amount of worth to you as their natural-born children. They've stopped believing that even if they make mistakes, you're still going to be there and receive them and take them in. And so as I was watching this video, and and the, the, the person that I was watching, she was 19 years old. She had been adopted when she was seven. So that's 12 years of a secure, loving family life, and they're still going through this process. And it was interesting, you know, the solution that the therapist proposed as I'm watching this is he said, The way to solve this is if you start a family ritual every year on your child's birthday where you retell the story of their adoption, from how hard it was for you, how much you desired the child, the process that you went through, and how valued and loved and worth that they were. And if you just do that, you have this ritual of family retelling, it'll sink in, and you'll be able to move forward. And as I listen to those recommendations this summer, I realize that's exactly what we're doing today. That's what the church does. Every year from Christmas through Easter, we, we recount the grand story of our adoption, and it's a reminder of who we are and our status in Him. It's a grand retelling of this story because we don't believe it. And I want to end with this our responsibilities, how do we live into those? because we talked about that. How do, we, how do we stand up to bear the name of God? How do we stand up to do the things and live the life that he's called us to? Well, it's a lot more helpful when he's physically present with us, spiritually present with us, present in his fullness with us. You know, yesterday I drove up to Orlando for Christmas. Uh, that's where my family's from. And uh, what we decided to do is we decided to build a horseshoe pit. Anybody ever play horseshoes before? Forty feet's a lot longer than I remember. Um, but we're building this, we're building this, you know, the first thing we do, and you know, we're not inside you know, having cocktails celebrating, because my dad, he likes to work with his hands, and that's something that he does. And so we go out as his sons, and we knock this cord out. You know, we dig it out, we build the barriers, we put everything in, we get the sand in place, we, we flatten the ground around it, and we get it set. And we're doing this for about an hour and a half, two hours. And I realize, you know, what are we doing? Like, we're, you know, like, this isn't, this isn't the fun holiday thing that you'd consider, but the time flew by, and to be honest, we all enjoyed it immensely. And why is that? Well, he was present. We're working towards a common mission and purpose as a family. That's just what we do. And so the last thing I'd like to draw your attention to in the text is when Paul says, you know, he has given us the experience of adoption through the Holy Spirit. God desired, the Father desired us, the Son allowed us to be adopted by His sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's the one that gives us that experience. And so as you recount the story of your own adoption into Christ's family and the family that you have right around you in this room, The Holy Spirit's never far from us, is He? And so I would encourage you, connect with that Holy Spirit. Understand and go through and work through the story of your adoption by God. Work alongside God as He has called us to do, and I can promise you that where you are working, there He is also. Live into the family that we have all been called into. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have granted us an enormous gift in calling us to be your sons and daughters. And the weight of the glory that you have bestowed on us and the rights and responsibilities are often far more than we feel we can bear. God, I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that helps us to shoulder that burden and to experience that joy. I pray for us to have hearts to reflect on the experience of you. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.